Good evening, everybody. Welcome. Thank you for being a part of this podcast this evening, Sunday, February 28th in the year 2021, here at Calvary Baptist Church in Gaylord, Michigan. We are continuing this uh, rather extended series of Sunday evening studies that, for lack of a better term, I've titled Why We Believe What We Believe. Much of this is history, it is theology, it is understanding the Bible through recognizing that we have a lens that we look at it with. And our lens is tinted, perhaps it shouldn't be, but it nonetheless is tinted, by our perspective in the sense that we come at it from an American perspective and a Western culture perspective. And so much of church history is westernized. And yet, of course, originally, that eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea with Israel and uh, the biblical lands uh, was quite the opposite. It was a different culture. It was a different time. That doesn't mean that we reinterpret all the things that we've always learned, but it does mean that we have to recognize that sometimes perhaps we were a little tunnel-visioned. Maybe we had too much emphasis on some things and not enough on other things. All that being considered, I do think that it is useful for us to remember that perspective matters, history matters, and that's why we have to re-examine why we believe what we believe. So with all that in mind, we're going to continue because last week we were talking about what was happening, uh, the last several weeks we've talked about what's been happening in different countries throughout Europe, how in the 1500s, uh, the beginning of what was known as the Protestant Reformation, led by names by, like Martin Luther in um, what today would be Germany, and John Calvin in Switzerland, and then other names like in Scotland, John Knox, and in um, the Netherlands, names like Jacob Arminius. And then, of course, we talked about the English Reformation, the changes in England, that resulted in the Church of England. And then we talked about the Catholic Church's pushback on things. But now we're going to start talking about things that are starting to point towards connections to something that would be a little more recognizable to us. When I say that, because at this point we are now into the early 1600s. And some things were going on in the early 1600s, and among them being that there was... Um, a new world, as they called it, that had been discovered in the previous century, and colonists were beginning to start to make the trek across the Atlantic Ocean for a new beginning. And among their motivation was to seek religious freedom. In England, in the nation of England, the Church of England was still the official church. Before that, it had been the Roman Catholic Church. Now it's the Church of England. And yet there are groups that are not happy about that. One group wanted just simply to have freedom and to get away. And the other group wanted to try to purify the Church of England. We know the names of those groups. We tend to associate them well with early, the early American settlers. We tend to associate it with the first Thanksgiving, all of those things. But these are, of course, the Pilgrims and the Puritans. Now, what I would like to do is put something on the screen. Those of you who are watching or listening, let's say, on an iPhone, you might not be able to see the image as well, so this is primarily an audio listening for you, but those of you that do have a larger screen, a tablet perhaps, or your computer, 
uh, look at the on-screen image right now, it shows you a comparison between pilgrims and Puritans. They were not the same, and I'm going to talk about that in a bit. The pilgrims arrived in America in 1620 in Plymouth. They were separatists that really wanted to separate from the Church of England. They sailed on the Mayflower, for example. They wrote the Mayflower Compact of Self-Rule. A key leader was a man named William Bradford, and he held town meetings to discuss issues. Now, the Puritans had a, a different way of going about things. They didn't settle in Plymouth. They settled in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. They didn't arrive for about another 10 years, the late 1620s to the early 1630s. They wanted to reform or to purify the Church of England, not really separate from it. They wanted their community to be strong in faith and serve as an example of others. They had strict rules. Their leader was a man named John Winthrop. The pilgrims were probably more con less conservative, but they wanted more liberty. The Puritans were probably more of what we would call legalists. Now, those are labels to put on them that probably don't entirely fit, but as a generalization. Both groups wanted to find religious freedom. Both of them had disagreements with the Church of England. Both wanted to start a new colony in America. Both formed their own governments, and they both had settled in Massachusetts. So there's similarities and differences between pilgrims and Puritans, but we need to learn more about that because both had significant influence on what became known as the Baptist movement in early America. Now that being said, I need to go back to something I've talked about before, but I, I have to keep saying this over and over again. It is true that Baptists seek to hold to the views that were the teachings of Jesus and the Apostles. That is a true statement. That being said, side note, anybody from any other denomination believes that they're holding to the teachings of Jesus and the Apostles. So uh, let's just recognize that. That being said, you've heard me say many times I do not fully accept the idea that Baptists are not Protestants, that we always were, and that we you know, completely bypass the Catholic Church entirely. Um, history does not support that. A, a better argument is to say that the principles that we trace ourselves to are the principles of the teachings of Jesus and the Apostles and the Apostle Paul and John the Baptizer. He wasn't a Baptist in that sense, but he certainly was the Baptizer. So let's talk a little bit, having seen that, that graph that was on the screen, Let's go back and let's talk about those two groups, Puritans and Pilgrims. All right, let's talk first about Pilgrims. There is a Baptist connection here. If you go back to early America, and actually in England before that, you have a man named John Smythe, British spelling of Smith, S-M-Y-T-H, often credited as being the first Baptist. He pastored a church where many of the Christians who later became pilgrims had attended. But he began to have disagreements with future pilgrims over the church governance. And they actually formed another church under the leadership of John Robinson. In 1620, a portion of Robinson's congregation sailed to Plymouth, Massachusetts, aboard the Mayflower. Message, it didn't take them very long, did it? Baptists were only around for 
less than a decade, and they already went through a church split. <laughs> One of the problems when a denomination emphasizes local, independent, autonomous churches, if they aren't careful, they hyperize it beyond what is biblically commanded, and they open themselves up to exactly the kinds of things that happen in so many Baptist churches. That's why, I believe, and that's why we as a congregation accepted the idea that being part of an affiliation of like-minded churches gives us some guidance and some protection against things like that. So, following that split, John Smythe became convinced that the Bible teaches what's called believer's baptism, and he launched what became the Baptist movement. And with the exception of those Anabaptists in Switzerland in the um, mid-1500s, with the exception of them, that idea of immersion baptism had disappeared for almost a thousand years. Now, most people don't realize how closely the pilgrims and the first, the initial Baptists in England and in early America were related. The Plymouth Colony Governor William Bradford knew this John Smythe. And many of the members that Smythe pastored had left England to either go to Holland, where they had religious liberty, and then they would come here to America. Many of you forget that the city we know as New York City today, named after the city of York in England, that wasn't its original name. Its original name was New Amsterdam, named after Amsterdam in Holland, the modern-day Netherlands. And so the idea is that there is a connection with both Holland and England. And in the last couple of weeks, those were the two countries that we talked about the most as far as the connections of how Baptist church polity, meaning governance and operations, as well as Baptist church doctrine, really were developed. Now, Smythe and the Pilgrims both emerged from this movement in England known as separatism. Does that sound familiar? As far as Baptists, the concept of separation. It's the late 1500s and the early 1600s. The Church of England is controlled by the British monarch. We had talked about the development of the Church of England. And it became very Protestant in its doctrine in that it no longer recognized the Pope and it no longer recognized some edicts of the Catholic Church. But largely speaking, their, their practice in worship was very Catholic. Somebody who didn't know the difference between things would look at a Church of England service today and they would say, is this Catholic? Well, it, it clearly is not, and yet it resembles it, at least on the surface. There was a group of Christians known, that became known as the Puritans. They objected to Catholic ritual, rituals. They thought worship should only include the elements taught in the Bible. They tried to reform the Church of England without leaving. But some Puritans separated from the state church, it was called, altogether, and they went on to form their own separatist congregations. But being a separatist was very trying. In fact, some were even imprisoned. Some were even executed for their beliefs. In an effort to curb the growth of separatists, they passed a law in April 1593 requiring everyone over the age of 16 to attend the church of their local parish, which comprised all of who, those who lived in a certain boundary. 
Failure to obey this law for a month meant you were thrown in prison. If three months following the individual's release from prison, he still refused to conform, the person was given the choice of exile or death. That's the kind of persecution the Church of England was giving upon people who weren't complying. In other words, the established church and the state were hoping to get rid of the separatist problem by giving a choice between death or sending them over to the new world. The vast majority of them chose to go to the colonies, where at least they had a chance. Now, 1608, a second separatist, separatist church travels to Amsterdam with Mr. Smythe, and the first two congregations had even fellowship with one another. The pastors had known each other for years. But conflict emerged again. Smythe took issue with the other congregation's distinction between pastors, teachers, and ruling elders. Smythe believed Scripture combined three positions into one office. The pastor elder, and he said every church should have multiple elders or pastors. This was a difference in the way a church should operate. And there you go again, as these Baptists, with such an inherent separatist attitude that they weren't able to stand together on the things in which they really should have. So, to make a long story short, many of them end up coming to America where they can be in the new land together, but they can be in their own communities and they can follow what they believe that God called them to follow. That beginnings of the Baptist movement, the American Baptist movement, or really the Baptist movement in America, because American Baptists are a, a denomination name today, as Baptists go, relatively liberal denomination. But the idea is that we're influenced by both the Pilgrims and the Puritans. The Pilgrims wanted religious freedom, but Puritans, that's something we hear the name, but we need to understand their influence on us too. One of the things about Puritanism is it pushed us towards the idea of what today is called low church. High church is you go into the church, there's stained glass windows, uh, tremendous ornamentation throughout the church. The service is liturgical, very sophisticated, uh, very beautiful, very uplifting, sometimes feels a little cold. Whereas the Puritan effect on churches, including Baptist churches today still, if you look in their churches, they're really very simple. There's no uh, innate ornamentation. The services are straightforward, tends to not have much in terms of liturgy, responsive readings, or anything like that. They separated themselves so much from Roman Catholicism in terms of methodology that they actually separated themselves from things that in and of themselves were fine. They couldn't tell the difference. They were so driven by what they were against. In that sense, Puritanism very much was kind of reborn in the fundamental movement of the early 20th century. It reformed itself in a different way. But it started out as a religious reformation movement in England in the late 1500s. The goal was to remove any links to the Catholic Church from within the Church of England. But to do it, they needed to change the structure and the ceremonies. They also wanted lifestyle changes in England to align with their strong moral beliefs. They really were fundamentalists. But there was something else, too. They were Calvinists. They accepted the teachings of John Calvin, especially as it related to predestination and election. 
and Baptists, emphasizing such independence, really rejected that. And so right from its heart with those two influences, the Baptist movement in early America was already divided against, against itself. Much like had happened in Holland, when I talked about uh, last week, I believe, how the nation literally was splitting itself in two over whether they were accepting the what we called the Dutch Reform Movement, which accepted those teachings of John Calvin, the idea that there is a predestined elect and that it's all about God's sovereignty, versus those who said, no, man has a role in it, man has free will, there is the individual liberty. In fact, one of the Baptist distinctives is called individual soul liberty. And so, right from the very beginning, the Baptist movement was conflicted within itself. Now again, there were some Puritans that wanted to totally separate from the Anglican Church. Others just wanted to reform it. They wanted to remain a part of it. They believed that government should enforce morals. They wanted to see behavior like drunkenness, but even swearing, they wanted to see it punished by the government. But Puritans did believe in religious freedom, and so they generally respected the fact that those outside the Church of England have the right to live as they wish. But if you were a part of the Church of England, they wanted the English government to enforce the doctrines of the Church of England. In other words, they really didn't believe in the separation of church and state the way that those pilgrims would have. Now, there were major disputes between the Puritans and the Anglican Church back in that early 1600 time. The Puritans didn't want to see the, their clergy wearing vestments, meaning, you know, the traditional robe and the collar and all of that. They wanted to see the ministers actively spreading the word of God. They wanted to see the church hierarchy, the, the bishops and archbishops, be replaced with committees of elders at the local level. In other words, what they wanted to see is something that looks very much like Baptists today. Regarding their relationship with God, Puritans believed that salvation was entirely up to God, and he had only chosen his elect. In that sense, they were heavily influenced by Calvinism, something that Baptists in America today in particular are conflicted about. You've heard me talk about that before, and I'll talk about it again later on in this series. I know some people don't want to hear it. They don't want to deal with it. Um, when we don't want to hear it and don't want to deal with it, what we're doing is throwing up a barrier in there, and we're also removing ourselves from just pondering the wonder and the awesomeness of God. You've heard me say a number of times that one of the problems of Baptist churches in America is they teach a very thin theology. Um, that's not what I'm willing to do. We come to faith as a child. That is true. Whether we were chronologically a child in age, or whether just simply we hear and accept and believe with the faith of a child. But that being said, at no point is it said that we're supposed to stay as a child in terms of our maturity of faith and our understanding. We grow and we develop and we mature in that faith. And in doing so, we have to know our history. We have to know why we believe what we believe. It can't be just simply because of what, was, what we were always taught. Now, so that was happening in England. You get to early America, 1620, and the Plymouth Colony and the Mayflower, and the pilgrims are here. But then at the end of that decade, the Puritans 
come to the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and they eventually spread throughout New England. They established new self-governing churches. To become a full member of the church, people had to testify to their personal relationship with God. Only those who could demonstrate a godly lifestyle were permitted to join. But something else happened right in that same area, you know, and right outside the Boston area. It was about 100 years later. Well, actually, I guess it was about 150 years later. A little town called Salem. <laughs> the Salem Witchcraft Trials. And one of the key forces in running those was Puritan religious and moral beliefs. So Puritanism absolutely had an ugly side to it. It had a very ugly side to it. And anytime I hear somebody talk about holding to elements of Puritanism, I get very nervous because, well, it had many things to be admired. It also had a dark side. In a lot of ways, it was like the fundamental movement of the 20th century in America. I certainly support the fundamentals of the faith. But when it's carried out the way that it got carried out, some really awful, indeed some unchristlike and unbiblical things happened. And they were so tunnel-visioned they couldn't even see it. Well, that actually happened several hundred years earlier with some, some of the Puritans in early America. Now, they influenced Baptists in early America, but there's a connection there with other groups like Quakers and even Methodists who would come later on, and we'll be talking about that in the weeks ahead. Puritanism was more of an underlying philosophy than a religion, but it did develop into a way of life focused on self-reliance, moral sturdiness, political isolationism, very simple living. You can see elements of that very much in people that you've known for years as fundamental Baptists. Now, does that make it bad, wrong, or inappropriate? Of course not. But let's go back to the chart here that shows the comparison, Puritans and Pilgrims, and recognizing that today, Baptists can trace lineage to both of these. We certainly have people who um, have wanted to separate as much as they can from anything else, and they basically said any time a church gets bigger than, you know, 50 people or so, it's too big. You need to break off and now plant your own new church. And others really wanted to say, no, we're not going to pull away and separate. We need to push in. We need to engage. Those are elements that you can see also back in the Puritans and the Pilgrims. And I'm not saying they got it all wrong. I'm not saying they were bad folks. I think many of them will see them in eternity and will be able to say to them, so why did you do that? And maybe even say to them, what's the real truth? Did history record you correctly? Those are all fair questions. But in the bottom line, something we have to realize is that part of why we believe as we believe here in 21st century America in a Baptist tradition was shaped so heavily by what happened in the years of the founding of our country and in the colonial times that led up to that, because those people came here, for the most part, from Europe, and the earlier ones were heavily from England. I mean, yes, later on settlers came from Ireland and Scotland and Germany and later Italy and all of that, of course. 
Holland, obviously, but many of those that came from Holland actually were from England, and they had gone to Holland temporarily because of religious liberty. No matter how much the Church of England was trying to reform the wrongs of the Catholic Church by breaking away from it, they never throw the baby out with the bathwater, is the old phrase. And as a result, they still had things within there that were serious problems. People have been trying to reform churches <laughs> for years because every church is led by fallen men, and it has members that are fallen men and women. And sometimes we want what we want more than what God wants. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I know I'm like a broken record. A skipping CD for those of you who grew up in the 80s, and a malfunctioning MP3 player for those of you who grew up in the late 90s and early 2000s, and a disconnected internet connection for those of you that subscribe to streaming services. All of that being said, it is true that there's nothing new under the sun. Or the more things change, the more they stay the same. Fallen, sinful, human nature has a tendency to look at the wrong places, no matter how well intended. Whether it be the pilgrims and the Puritans with all the honorable things they wanted to do, or their influences on us today. Baptists in America really are quite a mongrel of backgrounds. And we can trace those things all the way back to what happened during the Protestant Reformation. To say that Baptists are not Protestants is at best a half-truth. And it's an out-of-context statement. Those that were known as the Anabaptists in Switzerland who... Zwingli, we talked about a few weeks ago, was sympathetic to, but nonetheless, they wanted to rebaptize their children once they became old enough to understand what they believed in. We would applaud them for that. But their beliefs as Anabaptists probably can be traced more directly to the group today we would call the Mennonites, including, among other things, they didn't believe in eternal security that Baptists do believe in, and they also tended to be pacifists, much like Quakers, who are kind of uh, third or fourth cousins to us. There were all kinds of unusual mixtures of things that happened in early America, particularly in places like Pennsylvania. And we'll talk about those in the future. One of the problems with an emphasis on individual liberty is that it removes guardrails that are probably necessary to keep people online. You know, there's a healthy balance. God ordained government. Romans 13, I talk about that a lot. He also charged government to be right and proper and godly. And it's our job to keep it that way. But there's that balance. People who get really upset and angry about government, dysfunctionally so, like people I know, they can't even see straight. And they lose their way in their Christian walk because they're so consumed by their hatred for government. They hate the government more than they love the scripture. They make some of the same mistakes that the Puritans made all those years ago. People who don't pay attention and don't know the difference wander towards the bottomless pit of one form or another of liberalism. No matter how well intended, ultimately they end up 
not really believing in anything that has eternal implications. We got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We got to keep our mind on God. We got to keep our brains upon his word and our hearts upon the reality that we're all fallen sinners and every single one of us, were it not for God's grace, stand condemned before him. When we lose sight of that, then we start wandering off track. This is the history of the Baptist denomination. We need to give thanks to God for his preservation of the good things and help us to not fall into the bad things. That's all for tonight. Thank you for listening. We'll continue this series next week. Until then, take care, have a great week, and God bless you all. Thank you.